Hello everyone, it's Beth. Welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today I'm sharing some recordings from Instagram live videos where I shared my thoughts on using grace and grit to grow with grief. That's basically the tagline that I've used uh, for my Daughters Without Moms platform and for the permission program. And they're just foundational elements of what I use in my own grief journey. So I thought I'd share these recordings with you. And so they'll go uh, from one starting with grace to grit and then finishing with growth. And it gives you a real idea of my thoughts on the entire grief process. So I thought I would add them in and publish it as a podcast as well. Thanks for listening. And remember to leave a rating and review if you're enjoying the podcast and share it with others. Thanks so much. Grace is my word for 2021. Um, Grace is always something that's been very important to me. And I do believe that there's a spiritual aspect to it, but I do also believe that there's also uh, just a personal aspect of grace that can be learned and can be practiced. So I'm going to give you a little story about about me where I had to learn how to um, accept and give grace to myself. Um, So when our mom was sick, my grandparents moved my mom from... Illinois back to Maine uh, so that it was easier for them to care for her there. And none of us were with my mom in Illinois at that time because my parents had divorced and my sister and I had moved to Florida to live with my dad. So anyways, this is a long convoluted story, but my grandparents never liked my dad from from the beginning, from when they first got married. And so um, when we went when we went to Maine to stay with my grandparents to go to the hospital and visit my mom, um, it got to be pretty difficult because she had pancreatic cancer. She was probably down to about 90 pounds and was just struggling to breathe. And it wasn't a great thing for anybody to experience, much less to 13 and 16 year old girls. So my sister and I sat down with our grandparents and said that we were really having a hard time. We would go to the hospital twice a day. It was an hour away. We would stay for an hour or so and then an hour back to the grandparents and then um, twice a day. So we sat down with our grandparents and said that we really didn't want to go twice a day, that it was really hard to see mom like that and that we just wanted to go once a day. Well, basically they told us that um, while we were staying at their house, we were gonna follow their rules. And we, if we didn't wanna follow the rules and do the things the way they did it, that we could leave. They basically threw us out of their house um, while our mom was in the hospital dying. And um, so we left because we had lived in Maine before. We had family friends that we went and stayed with. And because we obviously knew their routine, we didn't go at the times when they were there. And I think about a week later, my mom passed. So then my dad came to Maine and we all went to the funeral together. They were just having a memorial service. We all went to um, my dad and the the family whom we were staying with the Bridges. If you guys watch us at all, I'll never forget the support that you gave to Amy and I during this process. Um, We walked up, it's a, I can picture the church with steps going outside and my grandparents were standing outside greeting people as they arrived. And my sister and I and my dad and um, the Bridges, um, mom and dad all walked up the steps to come into the service and they turned their backs and walked in, didn't acknowledge us, didn't say hello, didn't say anything, um, just totally ignored us. 
through the whole service. Um, and then from that, I never had a relationship with my grandparents again. Never, never had a relationship with them. And we were their only grandkids. My mom had a brother and he never married, nor did he ever have children. And we were their only grandkids. Um, so that left me with a lot of the same sort of inner talk that Yvonne was having. Why wasn't I enough? Why was I so unlovable? What was so wrong with me that they would want nothing to do with their only living um, you know, child left from their daughter? I just could never um, understand it. And so for about 20 years, I spent being very angry and hurt um, my grandparents were the only people who had ever taken me to church. So I held um, God responsible for my grandparents' actions. I also never understood why I was being punished. Um, like I said, my grandparents were the only people who took me to church. I wasn't, I wasn't you know, um, a, a practicing Christian, but at the same time, I also wasn't a horrible person. So I couldn't understand what I had done and why I was being punished. And why didn't God answer my prayers? when I asked for him to um, heal my mother. And then people say all those things that are supposed to be so helpful to you that I think just is from their own point places of uncomfortableness, but they say, well, God has a reason and um, he must've needed her more than you. And I was 13 years old and I said, no, no, that doesn't work for me. So for 20 years, I walked around angry and mad, resentment all kinds of harsh feelings, um, holding them inside. So then as I got older, you'd process things differently. And I um, started going to church with my husband when we were dating. And I thought about why do bad things happen to good people? I don't understand that. I don't understand this all. If God has a plan and all those, everything is already figured out, you know, how, why do bad things happen to good people? Because my mom was a really good person. And I thought I was a good person too. And it came along um, a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People by Herod, Herod, Harold Kushner, he's a rabbi. And one, of the, one thing from the book that I just wanted to share with you, um, a quote that he said was, I no longer hold God, God responsible for illnesses, accidents, or natural disasters, because I realize I gain little and lose so much when I blame God for those things. So it took me a long time, 20 years, um, but I eventually wrote a letter to my grandparents forgiving them and offering them grace. And you know what I found out in the long run? You know who needed the grace the most? Me. Because do you know who suffers when you hold that kind of anger in your heart and that, that I was mad, yeah, it was anger. It was anger and hurt and shame and unworthiness and the feeling of being unlovable. Um, I'm the one, you're the one, if you're doing that to yourself that hurts the worst from that. Um, so I, I, I also like religion is a very, very private thing. And so I don't necessarily want to make this um, a, a religious type of thing because I do believe that grace can also be practiced personally. It can be given, it can be received, um, not only from the universe, but from and to yourself. And I truly believe that that's where it all has to begin is uh, extending a little grace to yourself. So I've also talked in the past about shame and vulnerability. Um, 
I love Brene Brown. She talks a lot about shame. And this fall, I just had an epiphany about how there is shame, can be shame um, around grief. Perhaps you haven't experienced that. And if you haven't, I'm so thankful for that for you. Um, but I know for me personally, I would try to share my story. It's hard to, as a 13 year old to talk about losing your mom. Um, but in our culture, you know, we, we try to make everything sugar spice and everything nice. And so when someone says, hey, how are you doing? And you actually say how you're doing, well, you know, my mom died and immediately people get uncomfortable, which makes you take on their discomfort and it makes you feel like you're in control of that, such, that uncomfortableness. So you stop sharing your story. Um, and to start with, loss is life changing, it's life altering, it's life debilitating. And then on top of that, we encounter these experiences of shame. And then that affects our worthiness on top of everything else. And it's all, it's all just part of our, our culture. I don't know why our culture does such a horrible job of facilitating hard feelings, but I really feel like it does. Um, I feel like our culture, like I said, the sugar and spice and everything nice and oh no, we're okay, everything's fine. You know, we're not gonna talk about the hard things. We're not gonna have hard conversations. We're just gonna be polite. Um, I think by now we have to know as a culture that this is just so unhealthy, both physically and emotionally. It's not, we have to allow ourselves to feel things. We have to allow ourselves to grieve and to feel it and to share our stories and to be honest and be vulnerable. And, you know, when I think about people, a lot of people who, you know, you think about the people that have influenced your life. Most of the times it's the people who are wearing their wounds and their scars out loud. They're not pretending like everything is okay and um, putting on their false masks. A lot of times when you share and you're vulnerable with the world, the world responds. So, um, and you know, I'm sorry, I have a couple notes here. I just wanna make sure that I don't miss anything. Um, each grief story, grief journey is different. There is no white, right way to grieve. I wholly and truly wholeheartedly believe that. So I don't believe that there's a seven step process um, that can be submitted and everybody can follow it and be successful. Every journey is different. Your journey is your grief journey. That's why I named my website, Your Grief Journey. It's not my grief journey, it's yours. And how you experience and receive grace is different. It will be different for you than it is for me, but I do believe that grace and grief are vital for growth. It's vital for you to be able to, you have to be able to give and receive grace to be able to grow in your grief. There's no right way to grieve, but you have to share your story. Your story is your truth. Your story is who you are. When you share your, your truth, the world responds. I totally, 100% believe that. But you just have to be willing to take the risk. And there is a risk. There's a risk of being judged. There's a risk of being hurt. I, Yvonne expressed that in her podcast. She's like, I don't know if everybody's gonna like the way this sounds, but you know what the, the, the truth is? Aren't we hurting already? Let's take a chance. Let's take a chance. 
extend grace to each other, listen to each other's stories, hold each other in this sacred place and just walk the journey together. I truly believe that when we share our stories, we will come out on the other side, feeling seen and heard and validated and perhaps get back a little bit of that uh, love that we're missing from the loss that we've experienced in our lives. So grace, give it, receive it and accept it. Today, we're gonna to talk about grit. I've always kind of liked the word grit. I don't know if that was from a being in the South kind of girl saying, maybe it's kind of like flow. You can kiss my grits. <laughs> but I've always liked, there's just something about the word grit that has a sense of strength to me, only just even in the word. So today we're gonna to talk about grit. Um, and I, I realize that I've been required to practice this a lot in my life um, before even dealing with grief because we moved a lot when I was growing up. I was the new kid on the block, always trying to figure out how I fit in and um, to get to know people. And so I think that that took a lot of grit. And also my parents separated when I was eight and that um, takes a lot, of, a lot of grit also. I know people say that kids are so resilient, which I think in some respects they are, but I think it also um, is determined by how they choose to deal with it. So. Uh, grit is what we're going to talk about today. The definition of grit is determination, tenacity, and passion to pursue your goals. That's one of the definitions. There's lots of them out there um, besides the small stone substance. Um, but so the one that we're going to use today is determination, tenacity, and passion to pursue your goals. And that's a problem in our culture today. Today, everyone is telling us what to do, what to think, what to eat, what to wear. And in the process of all that, we forget our goals. We're so busy comparing ourselves to other people, we're trying to keep up with what's going on that we forget our goals. There's also family patterns that can affect your choices, affect how we see things, affect what we prioritize, and you learn things from your environment and your home life that also affect the way that you seek your goals. So I have an example where I had to have tenacity to pursue my goals. This has to do with my dad. Uh, when I was like in college kind of age, I um, wasn't having kids. I wasn't interested in having kids. I was you know, miss, gonna be Miss Corporate America. I was gonna run the world was going to, you know, work at a big company and um, was not really interested in having kids, I guess, until I met my husband and he changed my mind. But I did get my master's right after college. I was working for a company that actually paid for it. So I went for it and did it was before the before the time of online classes. And it was more like synchronous classes uh, from from Winthrop University. I was one of the, the first people to graduate from that program. But I did get my MBA right away um, because I had the opportunity to and I had a company that was willing to pay for it. I finished that program, I would say in May and my husband and I got married in October. So I moved from South Carolina to Pennsylvania. I guess this was also before the days that people made you um, like sign a thing that you'll stay with them for a few years after they pay for your, for your education because they paid for my education and I left. So anyways. 
I moved to Pennsylvania. I actually ended up working for someone who was one of the suppliers of the um, corporation that I worked for when I was in South Carolina. And um, then had my first child a couple of years later and then had more children. And I worked part-time from home for a while. And then I made jewelry and cards and things like that. But I, for the most part was a stay-at-home mom. And one thing that I distinctly remember being with my dad somewhere as an adult, so we were probably had met on vacation or something somewhere. And he introduced me as his daughter with the MBA that's a stay-at-home mom. And I'm pretty sure he probably meant it tongue in cheek, but because we're kids always, we're always kids looking for our parents' approval, that really hit me, hit me hard. Um, and I had to work really hard at not letting that affect my worthiness because it was felt like a, a judgment on his part. And, you know, I've talked to my stepmother about it and she's like, no, I don't think it was. And, and you know, it probably wasn't, it was the truth. I was a stay-at-home mom with an MBA. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but coming from him, someone who valued his work was his whole life, coming from someone like him, I knew where he was coming from. So I knew it was important to him. But that's when I had to realize what my goals were. And my goals were to be a mom, even though, you know, I said earlier, I didn't think that I wanted to have kids. Once we decided to have a family, Brian and I were very intentional about providing um, a type of environment for our kids. So while my dad's career was very a very high priority and a high goal for him, it wasn't for me. It wasn't something that I that based my worthiness off at that time, because at that time my kids were small and I was raising them and that was the most important thing to me. But that's definitely something that I had to think about and acknowledge and turn around in my head. I had to use grit. I had to use tenacity to be able to be strong and passionate about what was important to me and not let what was important to him um, affect my worthiness because it, his career could be important to him and I could have things that were important to me that were different. It took me a while to realize that that was okay. Then the flip side of that, at the same time, I came to the realization that I also had to reverse this philosophy and apply it to the expectations that I had of my dad. So like I said, I'm a proud mom, have great kids, um, enjoy being around them. They're fun to be around. If, if any of you know them, they're, they're um, great adult, young adults now and are fun to be around. And even as kids, they were like that. They were good conversationalists, they were engaged. And so I got to a point in time where I started to get a little angry that I felt like my dad wasn't um, like the kind of grandpa that I thought he should be, you know, rolling around on the floor, playing Legos with my son and, you know, doing the things that the stereotypical, what our culture says grandpa should be doing, um, that he wasn't fitting that role. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, you know what, he really wasn't that for me either. Um, he gave Amy and I a whole lot of independence. He was always there when I needed him. Don't get me wrong. I am blessed in the fact that I knew my dad loved me. And then if I needed anything, he would be there for me. But for the most part, he was um, a hands-off hands parent. So I realized that I had an unrealistic expectation of him because I was expecting him to be something that he couldn't, something that he wasn't, something that wasn't natural for him. 
um, because of the environment that he grew up in. So it was an unrealistic expectation from me that I was putting on my dad. So that was another aha moment I had that I realized I had to change my expectation. It was unrealistic and I was gonna to continue to be disappointed if I kept trying to hold him up to that standard. So these are the kinds of things that I think that grit does. Determination, tenacity, finding out what's important to you and sticking to it. Um, and this is what's also gonna help you to grow with grief is being able to practice those kinds of tools. Um, yeah, so using, using all those things, grit, tenacity, determination can help change your mindset to what's important to you. Um, and your mindset is so important. So to me, kind of grit and mindset go hand in hand. Um, because if your mindset says, I'm not enough, I'm a stay-at-home mom with an MBA and I'm not making money right now and what am I doing? It'll, your behavior will be affected that. What you tell yourself in your mind will come up in your presentation of yourself, in your emotions, in your physical being. Um, and so I think we all have to be honest to think about how has grief affected our worthiness? Uh, you know, my program talks about reclaiming yourself because when you go through a traumatic loss, your identity is changed. There is a, a part of you that is changed and is uh, not gonna go back to normal. So you have to learn how to adjust your mindset. You have to learn how to use grit and adjust your mindset and be ready for the journey that's ahead because the journey has now changed. So a lot of things that I've uh, read about is from this book called Emotional Agility. So that was it on, so where is my camera on Zoom? Oh, it's because I have a lag on Facebook, is that why? So anyways, <laughs> I'm trying to hold it up on the camera on Facebook. I'm assuming that it will do that eventually. This was the book that we used at my work at my previous job this past year for 2020. It's called Emotional Agility by Susan David. And um, so before December 30th, I worked in a family business consulting firm for 12 years. So a lot of the things that I've learned apply to what I'm doing today. Um, so Susan David, I watched a video from her today and so I'm gonna read exactly what she said. When we deny, ignore, suppress, and suppress difficult emotions. And in that way, we think that we are in control of them, but we are not. They control us. The more you try not to think about it, the more you do think about it. And then she gave this example of chocolate cake. You know how you try to tell yourself, oh, there is not that chocolate cake in the fridge. Even though it's calling my name, I can hear it. The more you try to tell yourself that you're not going to think about it, the more you actually do think about it. And denying and ignoring and suppressing difficult emotions will eventually come back to find you. And we've done this in our culture. We've provi provided this rigidity that says, no, be happy and you know, um, put on a brave face and sugar and spice and everything nice and everything's okay. Um, it prevents us from be being values aligned. We're being told by our culture, by media, by our family, by social media, what's important. We've lost the art of defining it for ourselves. And I wrote this quote down because I wanna get this one exactly right that she said. She said, social comparison is one of the worst 
toxic psychological experiences we can have as a human being. And aren't we all just inundated with that right now, the comparison trap. So instead of having the rigidity of what society and culture and the media and your family is telling you you should value, you need to practice emotional agility and find out what's important to you and practice grit so that you can stay aligned with those values. So try what I did. Name your reality. Name the fact that your dad might you know, not be happy that you're a stay-at-home mom with an MBA and your dad might not be able to fulfill your expectation of a grandpa. Change your perception, adjust your thoughts, and adjust your reactions. And if you actually do it, you will notice a different feeling, a different feeling in your body physically. It's amazing once I start changing um, that voice in my head of being judgmental of my dad. It was amazing. Don't confuse your feelings with facts. Feelings are feelings and feelings aren't always the truth. Use grit, which then results in courage, resolve, and strength of character. And those are the tools that will help you grow with your grief. So today we're gonna to talk about growth and um, being able to acknowledge your mindset is essential for growth. Sharing your story, allowing yourself to experience the emotions of grief and naming your reality is part of the process. So sharing your story, allowing yourself to experience your emotions of your grief and then naming your reality, the mindset is part of the process. Being honest and vulnerable allows you to consider that you might be able to adjust your thoughts and reactions. Like I talked about yesterday about my expectation I had of my dad. But you have to be able to recognize that your thoughts are not facts and sometimes might not even be true at all. So those are the kind of things where mindset is attached to growth. And I think you really have to get your mindset in the right uh, frame of mind first before you can acknowledge growth. So. Uh, that's where the tie between mindset and growth come together. So the growth for me happened this year um, when in January, after I lost my sister, that I became the only living person left in my family. And at that time, I was only 49. And it is a strange place to be in. And I was sitting in my grief and processing it and thinking about it researching it, thinking about the 37 years, and did I really ever acknowledge the grief of mom? And so I realized that I have skills to share with the world. I have, I have a journey that I believe is important, and I believe creating a community so that we can share this journey together has value. This summer, I was feeling a lot of feelings of change, and so I actually joined a program to learn how to do this online work. Um, so I paid for a coaching program that gave me all the tools I needed to know how to do this online work. Um, also with the podcasting, the social media, I'm not all that great at the social media stuff, but it's part of the process of getting your information out there at the talking part that I'm fine with. So I really enjoy the podcast, um, but I, I, I paid for someone else to help me implement this process. This is not just a whim. This is something that I'm doing intentionally. I have a voice. I have a story to share. Um, I also have compassion. I have the ability to listen and I have the ability to empathize because I've been there. 
So this is my example of growth. I'm growing. I am totally outside of my comfort zone right now doing these kind of things. Um, but I'm living within my values. I'm honoring myself and I'm honoring my grief process. So this is my growth. I left a part-time job. It wasn't a full-time job, but I recognize the need, um, the purpose to go all in with this. And this is, this is very intentional for me. And this is how I am growing in my own grief journey. So growth will cost you your old life. I don't have my old life anymore. It will cost you your comfort zone. Here I am. Because that was all built around the person that you were before. But if you've experienced loss or traumatic grief, your world has changed. If you're ready for growth, you must have the mindset to plan for it. The mindset work is necessary to have sustainable growth. So I found a quote that I liked that I wanna share that I'm gonna read verbatim because when I do quotes, I like to make sure that I get them right. So it says, you are being presented with a choice, evolve or remain. If you choose to remain unchanged, you will be presented with the same challenges, the same routine, the same storms, the same situations until you learn from them until you love yourself enough to say, no more, until you choose change. If you choose to evolve, you will connect with the strength within you. You will explore what lies outside the comfort zone. You will awaken to love. You will become, you will be. You have everything you need. Choose to love choose to evolve. So that was pretty motivating for me. I don't know if you like it, but I found it extremely motivating. I'm choosing to evolve and I'd love for you to join me. So why am I doing this now? I just said a little bit later is that uh, I'm the only living member left in my family that happened in January and then I turned 50 and then the pandemic and we all have um, experienced everything that the, that the pandemic has brought, the political polarization, the social polarization. I just, I, I'm in a state of shock as to where um, our country is right now. And the thing that it has made absolutely clear for me is that we are made for connection. We're not made for isolation. We're not, human beings are not intended to live that way. We need to, um, have to trust ourselves. <laughs> if anything this year has taught me, I have to be able to completely and 100% trust in myself and be with others. And if we have to connect online, that's what we have to do for now, but we can still find ways to connect and maintain support for each other. So I'm taking my 37 years of grief, my research and my life work, and I'm putting it into an eight week format. It's gonna be a group program so that we can support each other and journey along the way. Like I said, this is an intentional decision for me. I am all in. I'm ready to walk this journey with you. The program that I've come up with is called the Permission Program. And it basically has three steps. It'll provide a safe space for us to share our grief. And then we'll be able to acknowledge it. And then we can grow with it 
so that we can reclaim ourselves and your own identity. Because what was normal before, there's, the normal has changed. If you've experienced a traumatic grief or loss, your normal has changed and you need to identify that and identify how you can move forward with what remains for you. So I'm gonna provide the map for us to work, walk this journey together and I'll be right there with you, alongside you, walking it with you. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in being interviewed for a podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.